Hey everyone, this is the NBA Unwrapped podcast where we unwrap the hottest takes from around the NBA. I'm Corbin Weinerman, joined by, as always, Perry Aston. Perry, say hello. Hey, what's going on, guys? And today we will be discussing the NBA draft, the NBA Summer League, and some trade rumors that have been swirling around recently. So with that, let's get right into it. So I want to start off by talking about the NBA draft, which happened end of June. I think it was like June 22nd or something like that. And I personally, Perry, um, I had a big board that I created kind of ranking the best prospects going into the draft before Summer League happened. So I want to hear how did you rank the prospects, not taking Summer League into account? So what was your ranking of them before Summer League happened? When the draft was happening, how did you rank the prospects? Um, uh, you talk, uh, well, pretty much for the list, I would say, obviously got topped off with Markel Fultz, and that was a no-brainer for anybody. Uh, he can straight out play, and pretty much coming out of college, there was no question that he would be the number one pick. The only thing was the question if he would be the right fit on the Celtics. Clearly, they made uh, you know a move otherwise to fit their their need. But uh, going back to the list, uh, I always believed Lonzo Ball would you know the whole LA dream for him would come true. Uh, but I actually you know really thought Jason Tatum could have been taken at number two just off you know the best player available besides Markel Fultz, in my opinion. Uh, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. was on my list as well. Uh, I think everyone kind of can agree on his explosiveness coming out of NC State. Uh, but a big name for me that really was a dark horse was Jonathan Isaac. Uh, just with his length and, you know, the ability on defense to really be a challenge for their best player on the court. He can step up and really guard anyone and make a difference. But at the same time, you know, being six eleven with a seven one seven two wingspan, yeah. you know, on on any team, that's that's a guy you're gonna want. You know, he's a difference maker. But uh, other than that, you know, I think uh, it was it was the year of the mock draft. I feel like the mock draft was changing every single week. But uh, those are pretty much the main players that stayed put uh, on mine. Uh, other than that, the names were pretty much interchanging. How are, you, how are you feeling before the draft and everything? Yeah, I mean, you talk about how this was sort of the year of the mock draft. I mean, I I love this time of year when the NBA draft is about to happen and you look at all of the mock drafts and you kind of start fantasizing about, okay, how is this player that I really like going to be able to fall to my team? Um, <laughs> and I mean, yeah, <laughs> the different mock drafts, I mean... I think this year, just because it was such a deep class, like the mock drafts, I mean, depending on which one you read, just so much different um, because so many great quality players in this draft. So for me, for my mock draft, I had Markel Fultz number one. I think, I mean, some people talk about how he was at Washington and they didn't win that much. But look, I mean, look 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 at the players that were around him. I mean, he had almost no talent around him and he still averaged, I think it was like six assists a game he had six rebounds a game to go along with 23 points and not just the amount of points that he scored but just the way in which he scores is just so effortless right and you know it it was clear that you know even at washington this was the best player in the country oh yeah i i I mean i love lonzo ball but i did not understand how some people could have been ranking lonzo ball or anyone else ahead of markel fultz he just 
And some things that people also forget is Markel Fultz is so young. I mean, I know he's a freshman, but he's, I think, like half a year younger than Lonzo Ball. Over these, a year. Guys all, these guys are all 19, you know, yeah. it's crazy. Over think, a year yeah. younger than Josh Jackson. And I know for some people it might seem like, okay, well, half a year, why does that matter? But when you're talking about these 18, 19-year-old kids and the rate at which they progress, someone who's 18 and a half versus someone who's 19, that's six extra months of being able to practice and be in the gym right. for hours every day. Like, it's a huge difference. Um, exactly. You got, you got a player coming out of, you know, Kansas, like, you know, Frank Mason, who's, you know, yeah. pretty much 21 already, or Alec Peters, you know, who's already you know, almost 23. You know, you already got a lot of those years of development already on the college level. So it's kind of, you know, it's crazy to see these 19 year olds already so far advanced and, you know, getting just getting ready to you know, begin their careers, you know, at such a young age with such crazy talent. Yeah. Yeah. So I had Markel Fultz number one. Lonzo Ball was number two, I think defensively it scares me him guarding the ball off the ball i think he'll be pretty good good as a team defender but stopping someone one-on-one that's that's scary when i think about it especially me being a lakers fan like uh no Um, yeah you and i you and i both yeah but the stuff that he can do with the basketball passing wise it's unbelievable um so after lonzo ball uh i had josh jackson at number three um, and I was kind of going back and forth. I had Jackson three, De'Aaron Fox four, and Jason Tatum five. And okay. when the draft was happening, you could kind of talk me into any of those three being at number three. That's how close I think it was. Um, I understand with Josh Jackson being, I think, I don't know if he was 20 when the draft, I think he was already turned 20 yeah. when the draft started. Yeah, he, so he's he was, a freshman. He's 20, but yeah, still, he's a you know, freshman, crazy but, young. Freshman, but essentially a sophomore. Um, so that kind of deterred me from him. But just his defense, it's scary how great of a defender he is at such a young age. And then his attitude that he has towards the game. People talk about like Lonzo Ball not having that dog mentality where he's just going to fight and scrap for everything. Josh Jackson, he is the epitome of a dog mentality. Uh-oh. Definitely. I, I mean, just looking at him, what stands out for me is his basketball IQ. Yeah. Just to see him, you know, the decisions he makes, you know, he doesn't, all I can say is he doesn't make many mistakes. And, you know, if he does make a mistake, he is that guy to make it up on the hustle end and pick it up on defense. So it's just, you know, you don't get players like that in such, you know, a flashy league nowadays. So it, that is one thing that definitely stood out to me, too. Yeah, yeah. So I had Jackson at three, and his shot was something that concerned me. I know he was hitting his three-pointers in college, but he also shot free throws that I think it was like 58 or 60%. Um, and when I look at someone to see how they're going to project as a shooter in the NBA, one thing that I really put a lot of weight into is are they hitting their free throws? Because as you've seen time and time before with, for example, D'Angelo Russell a few years ago coming out of Ohio State, he shot the ball really well from the three-point line in college, but he wasn't really making his free throws. I think he shot it at around 66-67%. Last year with Brandon Ingram, he shot, I think it was like 41% on threes in college, but his free throws were at like 67%. And both of them in the NBA, I mean, at different levels, but they both had their struggles with shooting the basketball. Russell, I think, is a more, he has a more fluid release than Ingram. Ingram still needs to work a little bit more on 
his mechanics. Um, but you saw they both struggled, whereas someone like Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, they shot free throws in high 80s um, in college, and you could see how their shots just um, they translated a lot better to the NBA. So that's exactly. something that scares and me. You, uh, and you see with free throws too, uh, it really makes or breaks some of these games. Like For you sure. really notice, you know, at the you know when it comes to crunch time in the fourth quarter, and you are that playmaker on a team, or at least one of them, and you know you're able to get to the foul line, which is a skill set on its own. You're going to need to knock down, you know, one or two, uh, hopefully both of the easy points, is what they'll call it. Uh, you know, if you're not consistent on that, and you know, you almost go back to the hack a shack mentality where you know, you almost can take the chance they won't make those free throws. And, you know, at this point, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, small forward or center or anything. You see Andre Robertson on the on the Thunder, such a great defender and becoming, you know, a decent playmaker, but, you know, just on the free throw line, horrendous. Right. So, you know, it really, really ruins, you know, a lot, big part of that game. So, you know, I totally see what you mean on that end. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I had Josh Jackson three, um, De'Aaron Fox four, Again, just like Josh Jackson, love his mentality. Going to go out and fight for every loose board, every every loose ball, um, and defensively just a menace. It's just he's eight inches smaller or five inches smaller than Josh Jackson. Um, and then Jason Tatum at five. Um, I wasn't as high on Tatum as you were going into the draft. Um, like I said, Tatum, Jackson, and Fox. I kind of had them all right there vying for the number three position. Um, but I did love, I thought Tatum was going to project really well as a scorer going into the NBA. Um, so I had him at five. Jonathan Isaac, kind of like you talked about, the thing I loved about him was just his potential on defense, his defensive versatility um, at, I think, what, 6'10", 6'11", with yeah. an enormous wingspan. Um, just, oh. The things that he should be able to do defensively in the NBA, it's going to be fun to watch. Um, he's really, he's really built a you know a way that you don't see nowadays very often. You know, he's long, but you know, still filled out, and he's just such a lengthy player that it's kind of hard to you know shoot over him. And he does have that speed to make sure you don't go by him as well. And you know, with his size. You know, I, I can see him guarding guards with no with no issue with uh, how quick his first step is, you know, and his reaction time. So, you know, guards to power forwards, even just, you know, guarding the bigger men at the centers, you know, at 6'11", he really seems like, you know, the perfect utility belt kind of guy for any team, especially the Magic, who, uh, you know, definitely need, need yeah. something there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that he should definitely be able to switch on to guards. I don't think... I'd want him on a point guard for necessarily the whole game. Not not that he can't do it, but just more that I think that would tire him out. Um, right. But I think even though he isn't the fastest guy in the world, he's pretty fast for a power forward. Um, but again, just his length, if a guard gets by him, his ability to recover with his length, kind of like what we saw with Brandon Ingram in spurts this year, um, right. that's going to be a huge tool for him and something that he'll be able to utilize. Um so yeah, then at number seven I had Dennis Smith, and when I get here, it just it amazes me that someone as talented as Dennis Smith can be this far down on the big board. It really just speaks to how great this draft has this draft was. Um, I think Dwayne Wade was quoted a few days ago as saying that it could rival the '03 draft class, and 
I, I'm not saying a lot. Yeah, and I kind of agree with him, too. I mean, this is just a really talented draft class. Um, so, yeah, Dennis Smith at seven. Then at number eight, I had Malik Monk. I know offensively, look, the guy can score. He can get points in bunches. Um, he doesn't do much else, can't really facilitate, not uh-huh. wanting him to be a point guard. But I know shooting guard, he's a little bit undersized, but he's pretty athletic, so that's going to help him in the NBA for being an undersized guard. And then defensively, um, I mean, he's a good defensive player. So I think that uh, number eight going into the draft um, was right where he should be. And then at number nine, I had um, Frank Tilakina, um, who ended up going to the Knicks. Um, one thing about him was just, I mean, I feel like we've been talking about this a lot, but just defensively with him, he was, what is he, 6'3", I believe, and he's got a 6'11 wingspan. It's, uh, you know, he's, he's 6'5", actually. So uh, he's, six five, yeah, he's, yeah. He, he's one of those longer point guards. I mean, just kind of like, uh, just how we were talking about Jonathan Isaac. He's, uh, you know, kind of that similar, you know, kind of with the length, but obviously he's a point guard, so, uh, you know, a little bit smaller and a much different kind of game, but... You know, being so lengthy at his particular position is just such an advantage, especially on the defensive end, you know, poking balls away, you know, from crafty point guards and being able to, of course, you know, make up uh, getting beat with his length as well as his speed. So, yeah, he's really just a one of a kind player, you know, and being international, he really hasn't got the spotlight he deserved either. Yeah. So, I mean... I think part of the reason why he just hasn't gotten the spotlight is that he was playing overseas. So most fans, they watch college basketball, but you're not going to see a lot of fans tuning into some EuroLeague game during the season. Um, only, but, the, only the most loyal. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, just like Jonathan Isaac um, with Tilakina, just his wingspan alone is going to be a huge asset for him defensively. But unlike Jonathan Isaac, he has the speed to keep up with these point guards, so that's going to be another huge asset for him defensively. Um, and then rounding out my top 10, I had Laurie Markinen from Arizona. Um, I mean, I love his ability to shoot the ball. I think that's something that will be translating to the NBA. Um, but he can't really do much else. Not a great rebounder. And then defensively, especially in the pick and roll, like, you better be able to have someone who can come and help him on that because Definitely. he's going to be a huge liability on that end of the court. I really do think he's going to be a pick and pop kind of god. Uh, you know what I mean? He's really going to really change that game. Uh, just how obviously the power forwards nowadays all can shoot. He is such a dynamic three point shooter with his size. You know, being able to you know set that pick and pop out to the three point line, he's really going to be deadly. But as you said. You know, a huge worry for me it was just always, what more besides that? You know, can he really bang down low? Can he really, you know, fight for these rebounds with these, you know, crazy, aggressive, you know, power forwards and centers that we have in the league? Uh, but, you know, of course, if he can find his, you know, his groove as a stretch four, uh, which is where he's most positioned, you know, I think he can really, you know, find a gig. Yeah, I think, I mean, you talked about how he's, you think will be a pick and pop player in the NBA. I think, I mean, part of it, he definitely has the talent for it, but it's definitely out of necessity too, because if he's going to try rolling down the lane, I mean, he doesn't have that great explosion like some big men do. So it's going to be rough for him inside. I think 
give him a few years and I mean, hopefully he'll be able to bulk up more, but um, yeah, he's definitely going to be doing most of his damage from the outside on the perimeter. All right. Well, uh, you know, one other thing I wanted to, I wanted to bring up obviously uh, Mr. Lonzo ball right. and uh, you know, all the hype that comes around this kid. Uh, I mean, you could always say the hype's more around his father, LeVar, uh, but you know it all comes in a, a big baller package. But uh, I just I just wanted to uh, you know bring up you know of course uh, you know off the court it's uh, so exciting you know to see him and his family you know having such big personalities you know love it or hate it it's great you know entertainment. But you know let's talk about on you know on the court you know uh, I noticed uh, you know in his summer league stats. Um, you know, he obviously proved a lot to, uh, you know, every critic, every fan. But, uh, you know, just coming out of uh, college, you know, he really showed a lot of UCLA and uh, really turned a program that really, you know, historically has been great, but hasn't, you know, been too much of a powerhouse in, you know, past years. And, you know, Lonzo Ball really did, you know, make a big difference there. So uh, I kind of just wanted to talk about all the hype that comes with this kid and, you know, how his game uh, will translate into the NBA and how successful, uh, you know, he will be compared to, of course, what everyone's thinking. Yeah, so I think with Lonzo Ball, like you said, he did a lot in college. Um, The UCLA team that he brought to a three seed going into the um, basketball, the March Madness tournament, it probably should not have been a three seed. Um, Lonzo Ball, definitely, as we've seen in UCLA and in the short time that he had in the summer league, um, he just makes everyone else around him better. Um, I think, I mean, I know summer league, you can't read too much into it. Um, Just because someone's playing well in summer league, it doesn't mean that's going to translate to the NBA. And the fact that Lonzo Ball won MVP in summer league does it mean anything? Maybe a little bit, but not that much, especially when you look at the past Summer League MVPs like um, Glenn Rice. Um, yeah, I mean, where is he now? Is he even in the NBA? I'm not even sure if he's no. around anymore, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I wouldn't say that winning Summer League MVP means nothing necessarily. Uh, I do think that it's good reassurance. Uh, for a guy who does have so much hype, as I said, around him. Uh, I do think, you know, the basketball games that were played, Summer League, Drew League, on the streets, it doesn't matter. You're seeing, uh, you know, Lonzo Ball playing on a basketball court and succeeding. And, you know, maybe not facing, obviously, the level of talent that he's going to be right now, but he has succeeded at all you know, stages of competition and he is a competitor. I don't see why, you know, he, why it means nothing to me. Yeah. Right. To me, it means, you know, that everyone that doubted him might want to stay quiet for a second until, you know, regular (laughs) season happens, but at least the people that overhyped him maybe, but at least supported him, at least they could, you know, it's reassured. So, you know, maybe it's not the biggest deal, but I also don't think it means nothing, you know? Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not saying it means nothing. I think there are some people who are going to say when you bring up Lonzo Ball that it's just summer league, it doesn't mean anything. And then there are other people, namely Laker fans for the most part, that 
are going to be trying to make a huge deal out of the fact that he played right. so well in summer league. And I think I'm sort of in the middle of that. I think there are bits and pieces that you can dissect from summer league that do mean something. I think one thing is the fact that he not only led summer league in assists because look, every year someone's going to have to lead the summer league in assists by default, but it's how many assists that he averaged. He broke the record for um, assists average per game in summer league. I think it was 9.3. And that's saying something because I know I went to summer league um, and I was there for the first two games when the Lakers played the Clippers and then on the next day when they played the Celtics with Jason Tatum. Um, And I remember having a discussion with one of my friends, Kobe, not Kobe Bryant, but uh, Kobe Gonzalez, who... I'm much much less talented, Kobe, of course. (laughs) Much less talented. Um, (laughs) But I remember having a discussion with him and we were talking about what we thought Lonzo Ball was going to average during the summer league. And we were talking about assists. And Kobe and I both said that he would probably average four or five assists a game. We thought maybe six if he's doing well. And that wasn't a knock on Lonzo. It was more just the fact that he's playing in summer league with these players that for the most part won't be in the NBA. You look at, right. You know, he, he makes what he's best known for is making everyone around him better. So, you know, how much better could you make, you know, debatable talent on these summer league rosters? Uh, So, Exactly. So the thing that Kobe and I were both saying was that regardless pretty much of how many assists he averaged, whether it was four or five or six, we thought that one thing for sure was that he was going to be averaging more assists per game in the NBA than in the summer league. Um, And then he comes out in his first game against the Clippers. I think he got five points, five rebounds and five assists. It was a disappointing game offensively. um, Of course. Um, I think the five assists was kind of what I had expected from him. Um, he had some great passes. He started out the game with a lob from almost half court to Ingram for a dunk. Yeah, that, that had a guy all yeah. of L.A. on no, their feet seeing the future react like that on that first play. That yeah. was insane. But, you know, <laughs> the game the game wasn't the best game for Alonzo Ball, to say the least. Yeah, but I think, um, I mean, the assist, look, five was right around where he was going to be. Um, and then, other than that, offensively, I know he went two for 15 shooting, but that wasn't a huge concern. I mean, it's your first somewhat professional game in the NBA. I know Summer League doesn't count for career statistics or really mean anything once it's over. Um, but, I mean, it was a step up from college. Um, and the offense wasn't really what concerned me. It was the defense and the fact that he was guarding Kendall Marshall, who I believe he either torn one ACL or maybe two ACLs and they in the middle of the game they had to switch him off of Kendall Marshall because Lonzo Ball could not stay in front of him defensively and I know you were talking about um, we texted about this earlier and you were saying how um, Kendall Marshall is someone who's played in the NBA before um, so it's not like Lonzo Ball was going up against a scrub and it's somewhat right, not a total scrub. Right, right. you know, Kendall Marshall's not, you know, the cream of the crop, but, you know, at the end of the day, what I obviously meant was, you know, that he has played NBA games and has played, you know, against NBA talent. So, you know, of all things, you know, yeah, it would, that, that's not an excuse, but of course, you know, seeing Lonzo Ball have to get switched off of anybody, you know, especially someone who 
hasn't had the most accomplished NBA career and is obviously still playing in summer league uh, in his fourth or fifth year, which is a little weird for you know any basketball player to have to be playing in summer league at that point of their career. Um, which says enough, but uh, you know I, I totally get where you're coming from with that uh, defense. Yeah, it's never been one thing that's been you know super overhyped with Lonzo Ball, but it also hasn't been you know casted out as much of an issue. So obviously you being there in person and then seeing him having to get you know switched off Kendall Marshall and you know maybe not him exactly, but just not playing you know the best overall defense and having to you know, react negatively to that is never the best sign when, you know, you are a fan. But then again, just like you said, it was was the first game of a first real competition since college. So Yeah, well I think um so you were mentioning about how he was going up against someone who had played in the NBA before. And while that's true, if he had been going up against someone who had played at least somewhat in the NBA before, like, um, I think, I don't know, just some names that come to mind, like a Pierre Jackson or a Russ Smith, someone who has some athleticism, and then I could see how it's kind of understandable that, look, this guy that he's guarding, although he might have not played much in the NBA, he is quick and fast, so those are the type of players that, if Lonzo Ball can't guard someone, it's going to be those players, but Kendall Marshall, I mean, when he was in the NBA, he was if not the slowest, most unathletic player in the NBA, then he was one of the bottom two or three. Right. Yeah, and that was before his torn ACL or torn ACLs. Um, so I think that's the thing that concerned me. But I think with the Lakers getting um, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, um, he will most likely be the one guarding the point guard on most nights. Um Lonzo Ball, I think one thing that I did see defensively from him is that off ball, he's a pretty good defender. Um, He obviously has great instincts. That speaks to his basketball IQ. Uh, And then his ability to read the passing lanes on defense, which I think definitely stems from how great he is as a passer. So we can kind of see, okay, well, the guy on the other team with the ball, he's probably going to pass it over here. So I'm going to be anticipating this pass. And then he's a step or two ahead of the ball handler. So when the ball handler goes to make the pass, Lonzo's there for the steal. So that was an um, an encouraging sign from him, for sure. And, uh, you know, Lonzo coming, you know, to L.A. where it is showtime. And, of course, on the year of magic, you know, really taking the reins. Uh, it, it seems all like a movie, of course. But, you know, as a, a somewhat taller point guard, uh, you know, 6'6", six, six, and, you know, a lengthy point guard who sees the court incredibly well. And, you know, as we said before, can make every player around him better. Uh, I don't mind him scoring an occasional four to six points a game on an off night when you're, you know, making every single perfect pass and racking up double-digit assists, almost like a Rajon Rondo, <laughs> you know, uh, in his prime. Um, hopefully you know, it's, hopefully it's, a much better shooter, though. Of course, but, you know, just saying uh, with, you know, when you do have nights like he had on that first night of Summer League where he really couldn't find his shot and never really gave up on it, just kind of kept trying and trying and trying again. Uh, at least you know you can lean on the fact that he is debatably one of the best floor generals that I've ever really watched in basketball. And, you know, talking about Markel Fultz, at, you know, number one before him, 
you know, with Ben Simmons kind of supposed to be playing point guard this year, he's going to, you know, he's going to be what he's best, you know, kind of at a two. I always think Markel Fultz is a little more explosive at the two position. Uh, but, you know, that's a completely different player. Both can play point guard, but, you know, you got Markel Fultz, who's just a game changer and just such a force. And you have Lonzo Ball, who has such finesse and such vision. And in the summer league games, you just saw such, you know, such little visions of showtime again with the long court passes and the no looks and, you know, everything that we haven't seen in so long in L.A., you know, it's it, it seems almost magic-esque, you know, when it comes to his ability to make plays without necessarily scoring, but still putting points up on the board. So, I mean, when it comes to what I always thought of Lonzo Ball and just him being a floor general and really, really having just a different kind of vision for the game, I really see everything that I saw being, you know, affirmed. But, of course, you know, you being there in person, especially, which, you know, I'm extremely jealous about, <laughs> uh, you know, you got to see him firsthand, you know, on defense and, you know, especially on the game that he struggled, you know, the most. Because, obviously, as Summer League went on, he really found his groove and really, you know, had solid games all the way up until the last game, which, uh, you know, he unfortunately wasn't able to play due to, uh, you know, an injury that they're being cautious about. But up until then, you know, the whole summer league seems extremely consistent and seemed like that was his way of playing. And, you know, that's where to me, maybe summer league doesn't matter the most, but I think everyone already knew how Lonzo ball was supposed to play and he played how he was supposed to play kind of thing. And it made everyone who had doubts hold their breath for a second, not saying that he proved everyone wrong because it is summer league, but at least hold their breath and say, wow, you know, we might have to wait until this, you know, the regular season before making any judgments here. But, you know, it's unfortunate to you know, see such a talented player like Markel Fultz, you know, not be able to really showcase all that he had, you know, in summer league, uh, unfortunately spraining his ankle, you know, you're not, you, we weren't able to, you know, really compare the two or have any fun, you know, at least getting to watch. But, uh, you know, at least being able to see Lonzo Ball play and, uh, you know, the other people on your top 10 as well, most of them right. did play and most of them did play well. Um, but, you know, that's expected. But, you know, Lonzo Ball, no one has the hype that Lonzo Ball has. No one had, no one has a father <laughs> like Lonzo Ball has, you know, so. You know, I don't even think the kid asked for it. You know, he, he's a very confident person, you could tell. But, you know, when you got someone like LeVar Ball in your corner, it's, uh, you know, it's a little hard to stay in the shadows. So right. at least for what we were able to see, I'd say he uh, definitely impressed. Yeah, I think, look, I mean, he, I'd say he exceeded expectations um, for Summer League, but... I think we do need to move on, but before we move on, one thing I want to hit on about something you talked about is you said that he was one of the best floor generals you've ever seen. You meant for his age, right? Right, of course, okay. yeah. No, not, just, not just like you know, sure. comparing him to yeah. uh, the greats, you know, of course, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I, mean, I meant coming into the league, okay. of course, you know, seeing a guy with such vision and yeah. a guy with such natural ability to make the right pass, even if it doesn't seem possible. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy because not a lot of people can fit the ball where he can fit it or, you know, really make such a precise full court pass. You know, it's, only, it's like Kevin Love is the only other person I've seen 
you know, lately who's able to just chuck the ball like a quarterback, but yeah. it's not even like that. He just kind of, he knows where you're going to be before you're there. He's a quarterback. Yeah. So, you know, it's in LA where, you know, D'Angelo Russell was, you know, a great spark of talent. He wasn't the, you know, floor general that they needed for the future. And I really think Magic found his floor general, um, you know, in Lonzo, and, and I really see kind of him reflecting Magic Johnson's just vis- you know vision of the court. Not that I'm not going to compare their game, but I will compare their vision of the court and how they can really make passes you didn't think were there. You know. Yeah, I think. Uh, look, you brought up the D'Angelo Russell trade, and that's something we'll get into eventually, not on this podcast. But I know we have differing views on that trade, so that'll be interesting <laughs> to hear. What do we have to say? I don't see how you could see it any differently than my point of view, but again, we'll talk about that on another podcast and we'll show how crazy you are. Um, all right, so before we move on, just one quick question for you. Obviously, Lonzo Ball, his jump shot struggled in Summer League, so do you think that they will be trying to change his form at all or do you think they're going to leave it how it is? Uh, you know... I'm really not going to jump to any conclusions with, you know, saying he needs to change his form and, you know, press on the red button. But, you know, he definitely needs to stay consistent with hitting the, you know, hitting the shots, um, you know, after, after hours and putting in the work just because obviously he has a solid game and it's gotten him this far. And for me, I really think he just needs to trust himself and trust his shot. And obviously he tried to do that on the first game and, really put up a lot but i really think you know if he can tweak some things um you know maybe that might be what's best but if you know for me it's really don't fix something that's not broke and i'm not gonna you know press that red button and freak out yet just because you know if it's a little bit of a tough shooting couple games i think he'll i think he'll get smarter with his shot that's me i think he will be more particular with his shot uh just because you know i think he realized what a value he was having a guy like kuzma uh, next to him, uh, he really, you know, Kuzma did a lot on his own, but Lonzo to Kuzma seemed like, you know, something that I can't wait to watch for the next 10 years at least. And that seemed amazing. And so for me, you know, I think he was able to really trust himself as a playmaker and not have to rely on just a three point shot. But, you know, I don't think having a change of form is as unorthodox as his shot yeah, is. I don't think we're going to have to just freak out yet yeah i think um i think obviously there's not enough time left in this summer to do it anyways you'd want an entire off season um and i think i mean he shot it so well in college again he's another one of those players we spoke earlier about how um you look at a player's free throw percentage to kind of gauge how their shot's going to translate and he shot the ball around 66 67 percent from the free throw line so that's not that encouraging but I do think the Lakers should and will see how he shoots the ball this sum, or this season. Um, and if he can shoot it even around 32 33%, I think that's good enough to where you can work with that shot and then it's just getting the extra reps in. Um, I know he's shooting a lot of deep threes in college, but when you're consistently having the line up behind the line, which is a few feet further than college, it is a little bit of an adjustment, so... Um, of yeah, we'll see how he shoots. Um, so let's move on. Um, so now I want to ask you, we talked about our big boards going into the draft. Now, after Summer League, 
I know we said summer league doesn't mean that much, but there's still, I think the biggest thing is just the eye test from what you can see from summer league, because although summer league players aren't going up against the NBA caliber competition for the most part, it is a step up from the college game because it's essentially kind of like a college basketball all-star game where the top players from college are playing in the summer league game, summer league games, um, and trying to make a roster spot in the NBA. Um, So after looking at the Summer League, I mean, I'll give you my big board. It's changed a little bit, not tons, though. Um, I still have Markel Fultz at the top. Um, I know he went down early in Vegas with a sprained ankle and didn't play anymore. But from what we saw from him um, in Summer League, um, he, I mean, he looked really good. He looked like everything I thought he'd look like. Um, so I'm not going to penalize him just because Lonzo Ball had a great summer league and Fultz didn't, especially as we said, summer league doesn't mean a ton. So I right, Fultz, we, just weren't, we weren't able to really see the full Fultz yeah. effect, you know, with him, you know, going down, of course. Yeah. So I have Fultz one, Ball two. Um, three is where it changes up just a little bit. I have Jason Tatum up at three. I think how he played in summer league displaying his ability to create his own shot, um, he did rack up a good amount of rebounds too, um, but I mean, more of this was just his ability to score. Um, so I have him at three. Josh Jackson moved from three to four for me. Um, he played really well in summer league too. Defensively played well, and one thing I didn't get to talk about earlier with him, another thing I liked about him was his playmaking ability from the shooting guard and small forward so small forward <coughs> slot. I mean, he can handle the ball really well he's a freak of nature athletically and he has pretty good vision um for someone his size and someone his age obviously not anything close to lonzo ball but um i mean he's not a point guard he's a shooting guard small forward and he can make right, totally, totally different games so yeah. um and then dennis smith i actually had him jumping up from seven to five he had a really good summer league i know um, he kind of went under the radar um, going into the draft. He was at NC State and kind of like Markel Fultz's situation at Washington. Um, Dennis Smith's team at NC State just wasn't that good. Dennis Smith had some really nice games. I think he scored over 30 at least two or three times. Um, and he's a good playmaker, too. He averaged six Yeah, his, play, his playmaking is definitely not, not a question at all. Just, yeah. uh, you know, being an NC State, that raises a little bit of question. For yeah, me. yeah. And you could see in Summer League, I mean, in the pick and roll, he was a nightmare to defend. Is that going to be the same in the NBA? Not right away, but I think as he matures, gets older, um, and improves, just as everyone that comes in the NBA does, he's going to be a great player to have as your primary ball handler in the pick and roll. Um, so I had him at number five. De'Aaron Fox dropped to number six, and it wasn't like he had a bad summer league. Um, defensively, again, he was a menace, just like he was his entire time at Kentucky. Um, it was more just, look, Dennis Smith had a really great summer league. Um, Jason Tatum, Josh Jackson both had really good summer leagues too, and it's I mean, it was really close. All of those players, again, they're so, so good for the position at which they were drafted, but it just speaks to how deep this draft was. So then Jonathan Isaac, for me, is number seven. Um, he didn't have an incredible summer league, but it wasn't like it was a disappointing one either. And 
Um, again, summer league doesn't mean much, so I'm going to stick to what I thought from before the draft where just his defensive versatility is what just entices me so much. Um, and I think that the magic, I don't think Isaac will ever be the primary option on a contender or for that matter, even a second option. But I think as a third option and someone who can be just a defensive stopper for you. Yeah. I really like Isaac in that role. Um, number eight is where I had someone who wasn't in my top 10 jump in and that's Donovan Mitchell. He had a great summer league. I think we all saw the Twitter post from when he was going up against Tatum and um, they got into it a little bit. And then the next possession, he goes down the floor on offense and drops Tatum with a semi spin move to a, I think it was a dish to a cutter for a layup or something. So Yeah, that, that man competes. So I definitely yeah. was extremely impressed with that man's summer league. Yeah, and you talk about the mentality that um, players need to have coming into the league. He is up there with Josh Jackson and De'Aaron Fox, um, and I really liked what he was able to do. Um, so then at number nine, I had Malik Monk. He didn't participate in summer league because of his sprained ankle, so we can't really say much about him um so i'm gonna keep him pretty much where he was um and then at number 10 was frank tilakina um again he didn't play too much in summer league either because of an injury um but i'm gonna keep him in my top 10 over laurie markinen because i just think tilakina projects better than markinen going forward um so perry what are your thoughts on my big board did you have a big board now to be, to be honest, I, I'm really liking your big board, okay. especially um, with Donovan Mitchell moving in uh, to that top 10. I think he really proved a lot. Uh, yeah. For me, I originally had Donovan Mitchell, you know, around kind of 12, 13-ish. Uh, and, you know, moving up to around 7 or 8, like you said, seems perfect after really just flat out playing. Uh, it's, you know, at Summer League, he really proved a lot. And, you know, that that one game against Jason Tatum, he really went toe-to-toe with, uh, you know, with, uh, who I think might be one of the most physically gifted, you know, guys in this draft in Jason Tatum. Um, but for me, the one, I'm not going to go through my full top ten because it is pretty similar, okay. especially with, you know, Folds, Ball, okay. Tatum, Jackson. Uh, unfortunately, the only two I really swapped was I, I still had Aaron Fox at five and DSJ at six, uh, just I, I can't get over De'Aaron Fox's <laughs> speed, and I can't get over, you know, literally you blink once, and he is at the other end of the court scoring a layup or stealing the ball from you. That dude is so quick and is so smart with the ball, but, you know, of course, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. just around that pick and roll and just, you know, he just looks so NBA-ready to me. Uh, he's really going to thrive on the Mavs. I really see him just, like, he really went to the best best, you know, physical and possible situation. Uh, but really one surprise that might surprise you is instead of, uh, you know, Frank the Tank at 10, <laughs> I actually have Luke Kennard oh, out Luke of Duke Kennard. at 10. Luke Kennard. And uh, I've always been very high on him. Uh, he originally wasn't in my top 10, but uh, I think he slips in right there at 10 for me. Wow. Um, I noticed in the summer league, he had a lot, he had such an underrated handle, such a smooth handle. And I know he put up 17.2 points per game and really just showed his ability to, you know, of his three point shot in the NBA, you know, moving back a little bit. It was, I don't know why it really would be a question, but of course people were wondering coming from Duke, which is, 
to me, I think such a prestigious, you know, upbringing when it comes to, you know, at least these, you know, the one or two years that these guys play in college, you know, if you're going to come from Duke, I really have a lot of confidence in that coaching and, you know, they're scouting to get players there. And Luke Kenner has just always been such a Duke caliber kind of guy. He looks like he would go to Duke. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> what does yeah, that he mean? What, he what just, does that he mean? Just, he looks like he, he would go to Duke. Just, he is just the prototypical Coach K player to me, and <laughs> that—that's just totally about you know the size. You know, he's six uh, six six. He's such the perfect size for a shooting guard, in my opinion. Uh, he is twenty one, you know, and did play two years under Coach K, which I value because I know a lot of people. You know, we could talk about this a little bit later, but I know that. You know the value of college sports and playing a year there, uh, and the one and done uh, deal that everyone has to go with now uh, nowadays compared to how it used to be, uh, where you could come out of high school. Uh, I really think going to a place like Duke and uh, playing under Coach K, especially for two years, uh, was such a natural shot, and his shot and his form blows me away. Uh, but yeah, in summer league, it really just reaffirmed that for me and was able to push him. You know from you know, about 12 on my original board to 10 for me. And I agree with you on Donovan, uh, on uh, Mitchell as well. So uh, not a lot of change, but definitely, uh, you know, a couple of players showed how summer league does matter when it comes to the eye test and, you know, reaffirming, you know, rather if you're a hater or, you know, a supporter, at least you're able to have a few games before, you know, the real games start to evaluate, watch some tape, and uh, have a little bit of bragging rights if it's someone that you like, you know? Yeah, um, I think just the Luke Kennard thing, look, I I get that he is a really good shooter. I'm not going to take that away from him. And um, I just, I don't know, I didn't really love him going to the Pistons at 12. Um, they don't have a ton of spacing with, um, Reggie Jackson. I know they brought in Avery Bradley, um, but I mean, obviously Andre Drummond at the center position. If he's outside of five feet from the rim, you don't really have to guard him except to box him out. Um, I think Kennard just maybe it's just the fit, but also just him as a player. I like players that can do more than just one thing. And I know I had Malik Monk in my top ten, but Monk can defend a lot better than Kennard. I think Kennard's going to be a liability on the defensive end as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, look, you're obviously entitled to your own opinion. I think Um, think that's the one that we swapped out. I would say Malik Monk and Kennard for me would be like the one that we both kind of put our favorite kind of shooter to slip into the top 10. But I I hear what you're saying about Monk, especially, you know, being able to defend. I I do like, um, what I like about Kennard's uh, length. I just like that he's, you know, 6'6", he's good size, and he is somewhat bulky. He's not, a, you know, extremely lengthy dude when it comes, you know, he's definitely filled out, and I definitely just see, you know, his years at Duke translating for me. I, you know, I haven't studied him as much as uh, a lot of the other players I have in the top 10 when it comes to, uh, you know, extreme analytics, just going past just the eye test, but... You know, his shot's just so effortless and so fluent, and his handle is really underrated. He really can take it to the basket. But, you know, just like you said, I, I really can't attest too much for for him as a pit bull on the defensive end, you know. But I'm just going to say that I'm going to take Coach K's, uh, you know, system and say that I think it is going to carry over. And uh, after, a, you know, a decent summer league scoring 17 points a game and, 
really, you know, putting in solid all-around play. I just see him, you know, moving in front of the Zach Collins and, you know, the Lori Markinens and other guys who were slipping into the top, you know, end of the top 10 for a lot of people's mock drafts. Uh, I really feel like he he's at least proved that, you know, his game is uh, for real. And uh, I agree with you that I would like to see his tenacity on defense and see how that plays out. But, uh, you know, Detroit, with the exception of those few years of excellence that we've seen lately and, uh, you know, the, the Isaiah days, they really can take any talent they can get, especially losing yeah. uh, Caldwell Pope. You know, there is a hole there. I know Avery Bradley's there, but, you know, they definitely can take any talent they can get. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, all right, so now let's move on to players outside of the top 10 that, were most impressive to us in the summer league and then players that disappointed us the most in the summer league. So for the players that disappointed us, I mean, they can be players from this draft class, but really any player that played in the summer league. Um, So I'll start out with my players outside of my top 10 on the big board that were most impressive to me. And I think you obviously have to start with Kyle Kuzma, the NBA summer league championship game MVP. <laughs> um look i mean he showed me a lot when he came in was drafted number 27 overall as part of the d'angelo russell trade which i am still very very pissed about um but kuzma playing so well in summer league look it helps me get over it a little bit but still just how do you make that trade um but yeah, I mean that's, that's for another podcast. It is, it is. We'll get into it later. <laughs> um, but Kuzma, I mean, he showed he had great chemistry with Lonzo Ball, which obviously is going to help him once the regular season rolls around because Luke Walton's going to have Lonzo Ball obviously playing a lot. So if you can get great chemistry with him, then you're going to be playing a lot. Um, but Kuzma even showed um, in the two games where Lonzo Ball didn't play, he or one of the games where Alonzo Ball didn't play, Kuzma didn't play either. That was against the Kings, their last regular season game of the Summer League. But the championship game without Ball, uh, Kuzma balled out. I mean, he had yeah. uh, he had over 30 points. Um, I know he got a lot of really easy transition buckets when Alonzo Ball was playing, but that championship game when he was the focal point, he was creating his own shot, which as a power forward who, after I've seen him play a little more, I think he can probably play small forward too. Um, he is the perfect was, stretch for, for positionless really basketball. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, you talk about positionless basketball, you can have him on the floor with two big men or you can put him at the four with um, three players on the outside and really just right. be able to stretch the defense. So I think also defensively when he went up against, um, for instance, Jason Tatum, um, I know Tatum had a lot of points in that game, their second game of Summer League. Um, but Kuzma wasn't guarding him the whole game. He was guarding him for uh, short stretches. And there were there were times when Tatum had his way and got points, scored. Um, but there were also quite a few instances where Kuzma held his own, played really good defense on Tatum. I remember one play where Tatum was... Uh, posting up Kuzma and then he stepped back into a jump shot and Kuzma stripped him on his way up, went out of bounds, Celtics ball, but the quick hands that he displayed, that was really encouraging. 
I think it just showed what a competitor he was, you know, from, you know, the injury of Brandon Ingram in the beginning of Summer League, uh, yeah. and obviously not a serious one, and keeping him out, you know, just for precautionary reasons. Uh, we saw enough from Ingram, but, him, you know, him going down and, you know, with Lonzo not playing uh, and, you know, just the one or two games he didn't play, he really showed that he didn't need any of them around to really, you know, be the top, he really showed that he could be the top guy. You know, he could be a number one option, and obviously he's not going to be coming into the league. But on a summer league team like that, you know, which was a pretty star-studded summer league team when you look at rosters for summer league, I know a lot of people say maybe one or two people, maybe three, you know, on a summer league roster are going to make the roster. But, you know, you look at the Lakers, and it's not even a bad thing to say that, you know, with the exception of Nawaba, you know, who uh, is gone now, but everyone thought he was going to be on the team. We had, you know, uh, with Zubak and, you know, Ingram, Ball, you know, we had a lot of people that, you know, especially, you know, the other draft picks we got this year that really seem like they're going to be on this roster. So, I mean, seeing Kyle Kuzma just step up in such a way as a competitor was just, you know, as an NBA fan, it's really cool to see, you know, someone that was picked in the late first round step up and look like he should have been picked top five. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't go top five, but yeah, not, definitely. You know, I'm just saying, you know, look, <laughs> looking like, you know, playing like someone that, you know, should be doing that. But, you yeah. know, just, I, I know that most people haven't heard the name Kyle Kuzma before yeah. Summer League started. So, you know, the kid got a Nike deal. So, yeah, yeah, that is correct. After the Summer League, he, so Summer League does not mean nothing because it meant enough to Nike to where they offered him a deal. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll take Nike any day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, two other players that impressed me, one of them didn't play in Summer League, but the one who did was Caleb Swanigan, picked one pick ahead of Kuzma, actually, at 26. Um, I mean, he, I think he ended up averaging a double-double in Summer League, which, um, he just, I loved him at Purdue, and I think that he's going to fit in well in the NBA. Um, I think he'll probably end up playing more center than power forward, um, just because he isn't that great um, defensively, I don't think he'd be able to keep up with the fours in the NBA. But although he's only six nine, he has a really long wingspan, and he's he's pretty big for um, someone who's six nine. Um, I think you've probably seen the pictures of him when he was in middle school. How I think he was, <laughs> he was what over three hundred pounds as like a yeah. seventh grader or something, sixth seventh grader. Um, but that's a testament to his work ethic. He's not someone who you would say is fat anymore. You can tell he's a little overweight, but he uses that to his advantage. And he still has some sort of sneaky athleticism, I would say. Um, and then his ability to stretch the floor um, with the NBA um, progressing the way it has to where basically shooting is king. You have to be able to stretch the floor or else you're kind of a dying breed and there's not going to be much of a use for you going forward. Um, so he he's someone who, when he got into Purdue, he could not shoot threes. But um, again, just his work ethic, working hard on that, he ended up turning into someone who, in the NBA, yeah, I think he's going to be able to carve out a role for him um, on whatever. I know he's on the Blazers right now, but just going forward throughout his career, I think he'll have a nice, long NBA career. Uh, right, he's got the size and he's got the versatility of being yeah. able to uh, shoot outside. So. Yeah, and then the other player that 
Um, I really liked going into this draft. He didn't play in the summer league, and it's ironic that I was just talking about players who stretch the floor and how you need to be able to because this guy cannot stretch the floor at all. Um, <laughs> but uh, E.K. Onigbogu from UCLA, he didn't play many minutes when he was at UCLA. I think he averaged like 13 minutes a game, four points, like four rebounds. But he averaged, I think it was like three and a half blocks per 36 minutes. And I don't want to get too carried away with stats because it's not all about stats. But you talk about the eye test with him. He is, and again, I feel like we talk about uh, wingspan so much, but he had a seven foot six wingspan to go with. He's like six foot eleven, seven feet, and he's a strong kid. He's, I think he was he was the youngest player in the draft too. Um, so he's definitely a project. I don't think he's gonna be doing much for the Pacers right now. Who selected number forty nine um, by the Pacers, and I was hoping the Lakers would pick him up at the end of the first round. Um, but I didn't even think that he would fall that far. So to see how he fell all the way to 49, again, part right. of that is just how deep this draft is. But I right. think the Pacers... I got questions about, questions about his health, too, of course. Yeah, but, yeah. His, uh, knee, you know, his knee at, was a at problem. Eight, at 18 years old, you know, he's got a lot of time. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I know it's going to be crazy to compare him to DeAndre Jordan, someone who was an all-star this past year and has been an all-NBA-er. Um, but, I mean, look, DeAndre Jordan was a second-round pick coming out of Texas A&M. Um, he was projected to be a first-round pick, borderline late lottery pick. Um, and that's kind of how Anigbogu is. And I'm not saying that Anigbogu is going to be as good as DeAndre Jordan, but I think from how raw they are coming into the NBA and the type of potential I see from Anigbogu, I think that uh, he could have a similar type of impact in the NBA going forward as DeAndre Jordan. Uh, maybe not to the same extent, but I just, I really like Anagbogu. Yeah, no, that just comes from you uh, just overanalyzing that UCLA tape, of course. But yeah, no, <laughs> 18, you know, with such a crazy wingspan, that's 7-6, oh, you know, he's, you know, if he can get over those injuries and get the right kind of coaching and uh, development, this dude can be scary. But uh, yeah, for me, um, I love Kyle Kuzma. Uh, not just as a Laker fan, just as an NBA fan. I love a guy who's going to come in, uh, you know, not doubted, but with zero spotlight at all and really carve out, you know, such a role in the NBA already. You got Lakers fans screaming Kuz and, you know, Kuzma and all this crazy stuff. This guy's got a Nike deal after, you know, he really... It wasn't just the fact that he put up solid numbers. It was the way he did it and the leadership that he took on a squad that, you know, really did need it when, uh, you know, Brandon Ingram went down and when Lonzo especially wasn't in there in that uh, championship game, he really showed a lot. So, uh, again, you know, uh, I heard you say, you know, Caleb Swanigan, that dude's just a machine, uh, you know, being able to hit that outside shot as well as, you know, banging down low. But for me, uh, my biggest you know, surprise in, in the best way possible for Summer League was John Collins. Um, uh, yeah, that dude just really can play. He's, uh, you know, tall and so quick for his size. But, you know, putting up 15 points and nine rebounds, you know, about 60% shooting, uh, you know, that's efficient right there. And uh, I know, you know, if you were paying attention to Twitter, 
you saw the monstrous dunk that uh, he put on, I believe it was against the Pelicans. Uh, just this, you know, explosive, crazy dunk that he put down. But it wasn't even just that. It was the fact that, and I know he's on Atlanta, uh, who does need some help uh, down low. And I think he's going to come and really make a difference uh, a lot quicker than anybody expected. Uh, he wasn't the most talked about player. He did get a little bit of hype closer to the draft. But um, after Summer League, it really just reaffirmed for me what an explosive player he is. And, uh, you know, Kuzma, of course, um, really just surprised a lot of people. So I uh, agree with you on a lot of the on that uh so who are some players for you that uh you know disappointed in summer league yeah so i think um the biggest uh i mean all these players kind of really disappointed but cameron (laughs) cameron Payne with the bulls um he's been on i don't know what year this is going to be from in the nba's fourth year i think third or fourth three or four and he just coming into the nba he, I thought that he would at least have a role in the NBA, especially by now, but he's just, he hasn't been able to do anything um, really in summer league. I mean, what were his stats? I'm looking up his stats right now. Um, I mean, he just, he, I, I mean, I don't, really, I don't, he, I don't know if I, I don't know really if I remember him. That handshake he had with Westbrook. Yeah, and that's, that's pretty much all that I remember him for. And I feel like by now we should remember him for so much more than that. But Some sort of basketball attribute. I don't know if I have ever seen him make a jump shot in the NBA. And I believe he was in the D-League for pretty much the whole season after yeah, getting that's... traded last year. So if yeah. I'm not mistaken, I, I don't really think he was even on the NBA level after uh, that big trade. Yeah. Um, and then I think in the Summer League, I think I saw something about how he had more turnovers than assists in the summer league. And I mean, you talk about how much the competition is worse in the summer league than the NBA. And he's the player who shouldn't be in the summer league anymore, but because he just hasn't been able to develop, he is in the summer league and he just isn't making an impact even at this low level. Um, So I think that's definitely concerning for him and his prospects of an NBA future going forward. Um, the second guy that I wanted to talk about was Tyler Lydon from um, Syracuse, and now he's on the Nuggets. Um, Tyler Lydon, I was not high on him at all coming into the NBA. Um, at Syracuse, he just, I don't know. he I didn't see how he should have been a first-round pick. Um, I really didn't even think, I thought maybe end of the second round, but I, I just don't like what he brings to the table. Um, and I think the Nuggets, I mean, you look at the trade they made where they they could have gotten Donovan Mitchell at 13, but they traded right. number 13 to the Jazz for um, Trey Lyles, who he hasn't really done anything in his career, and um, Tyler Lydon. And Lydon just, I mean, he struggled in Summer League 2. He averaged 2.4 points and 4.2 rebounds, shot 20% from the field, 13% from three, and he's someone who, look, he's not athletic. He needs to be able to shoot the ball, shoot it well from deep. 13, and I know it's a small sample size, but I think in the NBA, if he gets playing time for the Nuggets, I think he'll probably be shooting in like the maybe high 20s from three-point pick at all um, when they took him. Um, and then the other pick was 
uh, from the um, Chicago Bulls. Um, he averaged 14 points a game, played. Um, he shot 29% from the field and 24% from three-point. That'd be a pick-and-pop player, partly because that's his skill set and partly out of necessity because he can't roll to the rim and finish. Um, and his entire game is pretty much dependent 24% or anywhere near there in the NBA. I think he's going to shoot the ball pretty well in the NBA. But in summer league, I mean, he didn't really show me much at all. And then the 29% from the field, obviously, if he's not hitting his threes, he really can't do much else because he's not going to be someone who's going to be able to finish very well. In you, I mean, I definitely like that list. And I know a few that really popped out for me, uh, especially uh, what was concerning for me. I never liked the Zach Collins pick uh, at 10. Uh, I never was convinced, really, uh, you know, with just how he can bang with the big guys down low. I know he had a really good tournament in college, which definitely rose his, uh, you know, his draft stock. But, you know, after really struggling to adjust to the physicality of, you know, Summer League, which, as you said, it's not even the full NBA. It's kind of, you know, uh, you're almost there, but at the same time, you're not even dealing with some of these big guys who really know how to bang down low, and you really struggle to adjust against the physicality. And that was before succumbing to an injury that, you know, he had to exit the tournament after three games. So, I mean, I think the one thing that really scared me was I know how me and you both agreed in the, since long before the draft process how uh, Caleb Swanigan really was going to be such a productive player coming out of Purdue. Yeah. But seeing him do so well and have Zach Collins be so underwhelmed was such a concern for me because to spend the top 10 pick, and even though it was the number 10, uh, especially on a big man like that who really hasn't blown anyone away, you know, with much, it really kind of was concerning that he really couldn't. It was kind of his physicality which really just scared me, just that yeah. he's, you know, he can't, you know, he's got the size, I guess, when it comes to height, but he really got banged around and then ended up getting injured, so I really don't know what's going to come of Zach Collins at all. Yeah, I mean, I I think he was another one, not to the same extent as Tyler Lydon, but um, I didn't understand why he was quite that high. Um, right. I got that he, look, he's a athletic player, he's... More athletic than you would think he would be when you first look at him. Um, he has a good vertical, um, but yeah, I mean, he doesn't. He isn't someone who's extremely skilled. Um, and yeah, I agree. They shouldn't have used the top ten pick on him. And then when you look at it even further, it wasn't just that they used the top ten pick. They traded up to get him. The um, Blazers gave the Kings number fifteen and number twenty to move up to ten to take Zach Collins. And you look at who. The Kings got at 15 and 20, they got Justin Jackson at 15 and then Harry Giles at 20. Jackson is someone who I love his form on his shot. Um, I know he and he's, in, he's NBA ready. Yeah. He's not, yeah, he's he's not a, extremely he's a young. Three, so. He's a three-year player um, from North Carolina, and I don't think that he's ever going to develop into uh, an all-star or anything close to that, but he's someone who's going to have a nice role in the NBA, and um, even though his three-point percentage was good at North Carolina, not great last year, I think you look at his form, um, and that's a form that I expect once he gets more repetition with his shot, he's going to develop into a sharpshooter in the NBA, and I think that's going to be his role. And then you look at Harry Giles, 
a year ago at this time, we were talking about Harry Giles as the potential number one overall pick. I know he right. didn't. Know, he I didn't. Know some people that are extremely high on Harry. Yeah, Giles. no, he know. didn't. He didn't put up much production at Duke. He missed the first. I think it was like the first six weeks or so with um, knee surgery, and then when he came back, he just could never really find his minutes in the rotation. Duke was a very stacked team last year, but as the one of the best recruits um, in the nation last year, like you should get playing time, but I think also some of that is just him working his way back from the knee surgery he had coming into Duke and then also the torn ACL that he had. Um, yeah, some of these some of these guys just uh, you know have such potential, but you know, once those uh, terrible injuries happen, it's hard yeah. to, you know, see how they'll bounce back after that. Yeah, but. so at number twenty I think that's something where it's low risk and very high upside because Yeah, solid still, value at twenty definitely. I mean he showed that he has a great motor. Um and he's going to go after every loose ball. Um, and if, if he's able to recover from his knee injuries, um, knee problems, and able to maintain his knees going forward to where he doesn't keep injuring them, then I think that uh, the Kings got a good steal in the draft because he will develop into a pretty good player. I don't think all-star level, but I do think someone who would be worth taking much higher than number 20 overall. So it was a smart yeah. trade for the Kings for sure. And um, speaking, of, speaking of winners of the draft, yeah. speaking of someone who got that value, I would have to put the Kings um, at my number one spot for me. Like just talking about, you know, you talking about the value of Justin Jackson there and, you know, Harry Giles at the spot he was taken. Uh, with such, you know, high reward with, you know, not much risk getting, you know, especially with how many picks they were able to, you know, accumulate together. Um, taking De'Aaron Fox where they all, were, where they were supposed to take De'Aaron Fox, that was, to me, a given. Um, I know how in love they were with him, and I did hear rumors uh, in very early in the draft process or pre-draft process uh, of them even, you know, trying to trade their two first-round picks to move up even further to assure themselves De'Aaron Fox. So I knew how, you know, in love they were with him, but with, of course, all the craziness happening with, you know, Celtics uh, even trading their picks so that way, you know, Philly can grab their guy and, you know, the Lakers taking Lonzo and everything. It just seemed so perfect for a fit and for them to take him without having to move out of their original spot and land Justin Jackson, who is, you know, such an NBA-ready player with such a good shot. Harry Giles, you know, which, uh, in my opinion, you know, is a little bit of a project, but it's mainly just getting, you know, overcoming injuries. Uh, but, you know, also grabbing Frank Mason uh, later on, I know he is a little bit older and has, you know, you know, was a little bit more experienced in college. and But he did win the, uh, you know, he was the best player in college last year. He did win that award. Uh, and he really was such a key player next to Josh Jackson uh, on that team. So I'm not going to overhype, you know, Frank Mason whatsoever. But uh, I am also not going to doubt him. And I do love him as a competitor. I have since watching him at Kansas, and to be able to grab him that late and accumulate Justin Jackson, Harry Giles, and De'Aaron Fox all within the same day. You can mark you can mark yourself an A for that draft if you ask me. Yeah, um, I think I had the Kings tied with the Sixers for the third best draft night, but yeah, I agree with you. Um, being able to get De'Aaron Fox, who 
again, if this was pretty much any other draft, a player of De'Aaron Fox's caliber would not be there at number five. Uh, so that was a great pick for them. And then being able to trade back from number 10 to get a player like Justin Jackson and someone with as much upside as um, Harry Giles at number 20, that was a big get for the Kings and a steal for them. And then Frank Mason in the second round. I don't think that he's going to do a ton in the NBA. I think um, obviously his size is the biggest thing that scares me, but some people want to try to compare Frank Mason with Isaiah Thomas and say, there's Isaiah Thomas doing all of this. Why can't Frank Mason do it? And so it's, it's all hard. It's all yeah. hard. Well, I just think that look, Frank Mason's very quick and he's a very talented point guard, but I think the thing that separates Isaiah Thomas from Frank Mason is even though Mason is quick, Isaiah Thomas is just so, so incredibly quick, much quicker than Frank Mason. Um, I think he's also a lot more athletic than Frank Mason. Um, and uh, Frank Mason's a good shooter too, but I think Thomas is a better shooter as well. Um, I, think I, do he, like that, I do like that comparison though, uh, as Frank Mason kind of as a poor man's uh, IT. I like that. Yeah, I'd say a very, very poor man's <laughs> Isaiah yeah. Thomas. But yeah, well, and I mean, well, you, you kind of. budget, but still a very good uh, value to get so late after accumulating so much talent. Yeah, in a day's work. So yeah, and you kind of have to compare him to Isaiah Thomas. I mean, what other five foot nine point guards are there in the NBA that are doing anything? Uh, you think yeah, let me think. Yeah, I, I, I don't, Nate I don't think you can. Nate Robinson, but he's yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to say anyone else who's still playing right now. Right. And Robinson. I mean, he had that one year with the Knicks where he averaged 20 a game, but he was out of the NBA, what, at like 28, 29? Hey, that man almost beat Superman Dwight Howard in a dunk contest. So, oh, he you did. know, he, I would, don't, he, don't ever beat, doubt those small guys. He beat Dwight Howard in a dunk contest. He jumped over did, Dwight Howard. Did he beat him? I, always thought, yeah. I thought that was the, the year that Dwight won on some, uh, Dwight, some rig stuff. <laughs> Dwight won one dunk contest, I think, over Nate Robinson, but Nate Robinson – did beat Dwight Howard in a dunk contest. The fact that we're talking about someone was, as small as him. Yeah, oh yeah. seven in uh, Vegas, I think, was when Robinson beat Dwight, and then Dwight won it in 08. Right. Uh, All right. So, yeah. uh, but I know, um, so past the Kings, I know there's one thing that me and you have been 100% agree on uh, towards the top of that list for winners. Uh, the L.A. Lakers. Yes. I know uh, we both are from L.A., um, so... It is nice for us to speak some good uh, for a second right now after such a tough past few years. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, there's with the news, you know, changes up in the front office, you can see it immediately that there is a different, you know, way of doing things around uh, LA now. And that's exactly what was needed after, you know, the worst offseason of all time last uh last season you know giving giving your life savings away to luau dang and mozgov uh you really were left with a mess to say the least when it came to you know your ability to you know really maximize what you have on your roster and who you can add and what you could do on a salary cap uh kind of point of view with having so much money tied up and um you know going into the draft uh, we know the Lakers were able to secure two first-round picks, which, uh, you know, isn't 
a bad way of going about your first draft if you're magic but a better way about going about that is trading out um your one of your second uh, one of your other picks to acquire another one as well and get four players out of this draft so one thing for me was just you know it was crazy to see how you know magic johnson was able to take what he was left of course you know we're not going to get into that d'angelo russell trade right now uh, if we liked it or not um but i am going to say you know acquiring that you know that other pick you know that actually ended up being kyle kuzma uh was you know such a solid way about going you know about getting such a new new roster in there and that all starts with the draft uh i know a lot of our you know our 76ers friends can attest to you know the process and how it takes a few years of support and you know a couple bad decisions um if that's on the front office or if that's just unfortunate, you know, injuries or anything, uh, you know, you know exactly what it takes to have to be patient and wait and, you know, sign the right players at the right time. But it's really just, you know, striking gold, you know, when it comes to the draft, um, when you're trying to rebuild a roster, uh, it really makes me think about the Warriors. And, you know, you remove Kevin Durant from that, you know, oh equation, of course. Let's, you know, they, they drafted. From, yeah, yeah, but... Let's not compare them to the Warriors quite No, yet. no, no, no. That's the last thing I'm talking about. I was just talking about how you could strike gold in the draft, you okay. know, how, you know, they were able to strike gold with uh, Steph Curry and, you know, Draymond in the second round, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just a Swiss, Swiss army knife, uh, a one of a, you know, one of a kind type of player that can literally win or lose a championship for you. And you're talking, you snuck him out in the second round. So you know, striking gold, you really can do that from drafting correctly. And seeing Magic Johnson move picks around the way he did could be, you know, some Laker fans might like it, some might not. All I know is they came out with Lonzo Ball, who is going to be the floor general that he needs. Uh, at least we, we need a point guard. Uh, we haven't had, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think in the entire Kobe Bryant era, there was never one point guard that ever made an all-star game. Not no, once. No, we- at the beginning in uh, 98, we had Nick Van Exel made the all-star game. But yeah, right. once Kobe right. actually he, developed into who we all know him to be, yeah, right. he did not And, uh, you know, you had Derek Fisher who came on the Lakers on the same year as Kobe yeah. and immediately built that bond. It was probably his best teammate. You know, they won all of their championships together. But even, even so, you know, Derek Fisher was never a floor general. You know what I mean? He never could control the game himself because uh you know the lakers really haven't had that type of play since you know magic johnson's time not comparing them whatsoever just necessarily you know this the flashy passes and the you know spreading the floor in the transition game we've really been more of a half-court team so you know definitely getting lonzo ball definitely shows magic being magic in my opinion and uh it it's kind of just it's it was how it was supposed to happen uh, as lavar would say he's spoken into existence um but you know coming up with kuzma and coming up with josh hart out of uh, nova that dude's just a competitor that dude just wins uh, i remember watching him in college that dude is a scrappy player and uh really needs some help on you know shooting guard with nick young you know opting out and going to golden state um, there really is a hole there, and, and I'm hoping he for can, some you know, reason fill being traded. Sorry, yeah, you know, of course, but you know, I'm just really hoping he could uh, fill that hole. But uh, for me, you know, um, 
Bryant, you know, that center out of Indiana, he's just, just like you said with Caleb Swanigan, you know, they are both similar players to me. I see Caleb Swanigan as a little more of a, you know, rough banger, but I, I, I read something that Thomas Bryant increased his vertical by a crazy amount in like one year. And yeah, his deep, like yeah, six it, inches. yeah, yeah, you read that too. So I, I know he, you know, in this past year and at least seeing in some league, he really wasn't getting the minutes he deserved either. Uh, it was a really good split between him and Zubak, but you know, when he was on the court, he was efficient and he wasn't missing many shots and he was able to, you know, hit that three when you needed to and get that rebound when you needed him to. So, you know, I know uh, we didn't get to see a lot out of Josh Hart, the, you know, the summer league uh, due to injury, but, you know, Lonzo and Kuzma and, you know, Thomas Bryant, it's been quite, quite like, you know, the pleasant surprise for Laker fans and really puts a big A on their draft grade for me. And, you know, for Magic Johnson's first draft, I really don't, don't know how we could have done it much better, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, well, one thing you said was that the Lakers had two first round picks. They ended up with three, uh, part of the, it's okay. Uh, because of the Russell trade, um, which you're right that I wish it was too, because that means Russell would still be a Laker. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think I had the Lakers as the second, um, second best draft night for me. Um, Obviously, in hindsight, it looks better with Kuzma playing the way he did in Summer League, but also um, with them being able to turn the number 28 overall pick, which was the Rockets draft pick that the Lakers acquired and the Lou Williams swap for Corey Brewer and the 28th pick. Um, they dropped down two spots from 28 to 30, and they picked up a second-round pick, 42 overall. So that was a great trade by them to get another young player in here, and they ended up with... They essentially traded Tony Bradley, who was the 28th pick, went to Utah, for Josh Hart at 30 and Thomas Bryan at 42. And I personally would rather want Josh Hart or um, Thomas Bryant over Tony Bradley. Either one right. of them. And we so, have both. And two players, you know, it's always, you know, maximizing the opportunity that one of them is going to succeed at, at the least, you know. Yeah, well, I would hope so. Um, we would hope so, but yeah, you know, Tony so, Bradley, especially with those injuries too, is it was scaring me uh, with the thought of him coming over to LA. But uh, definitely a smart choice going uh, with Hart and Bryant filling a much needed center position and a much needed center uh, piece at shooting guard for sure. Yeah. Um, so to wrap up my winners from the draft, because I do want us to get moving on. Um, but I had the Timberwolves as the I kind of cheated with this one. Um, they didn't necessarily have the best actual draft, but they had the best draft night because, as we both know, they acquired Jimmy Butler on draft night. And Mr. Butler. That trade, um, I think we'll get into it more um, in another podcast where we talk about just the whole offseason so far as a whole. But when I first heard that trade that they got Jimmy Butler for the number seven overall pick, Zach Levine and Chris Dunn, I thought there had to be more than just that. I mean, Levine's a nice player, but he's pretty one-dimensional, won't play much defense for you, and then he's coming off of a torn ACL. Chris Dunn had a really bad um, rookie year. He was someone who I thought he was going to have a pretty good year last year, and he just did not play well at all. Um, And then the number seven overall pick, 
I mean, we talked about how deep this draft was, but then they go and I think they reached with Lori Markin at number seven. I think there were much better players on the board. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think, um, but then when I heard that it wasn't, it wasn't just that they didn't get anything else besides that. They also had to trade back their number 16 overall pick. So they essentially gave up Jimmy Butler for Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and moving up in the draft by nine picks from 16 right. to seven. And to be honest, you know, Lori Marketing is a great player and all, uh, but, you know, then yeah, again, they came away player. with just Justin Patton, who is extremely underrated and played very well in college. Yeah. And I think he's going to fit very well once he does, you know, uh, come around past any kind of injury concern that, you know, he's obviously been struggling with um he's yeah going to yeah be, well he's, he's, he's dealing with the uh, the same foot injury that ben simmons had last year but simmons right. was fine by i think it was like mid-february if the sixers were fighting for the playoffs he could have come back so i think Patton will right. probably be back by probably december january um and, so, I see, and i see him playing very well just as you know just a role player yeah. you know behind k you know kat you know behind anthony towns you know to yeah. have another big guy down there to pull down some rebounds and really, you know, put some physicality down low is a big plus for them on a team that really doesn't have all too much depth, but a lot more talent than they have last year. Yeah, and I think um, I think I see him developing into a nice player too. I think um, he it's going to take a little bit of time for him to um, keep um, progressing, but um, I mean. He played two years at Creighton. His first year, he redshirted, and you never see that with anyone who's drafted redshirting a year because if you're going to make it in the NBA, you play all four years. Like anyone who's so bad, especially Creighton's not a great or even really a good basketball team most years. Um, I know when they had McDermott, they were good. Um, but I mean, he was so bad, supposedly, his true freshman year that he couldn't get any minutes for them, so they redshirted him. So he obviously improved a lot from year one to year two at Creighton. So I think right. um, that definitely speaks to his work ethic and his ability to develop going forward. But I think from the Bulls' perspective, I mean, it would have been bad enough if you just got Markin and Levine and Chris Dunn, but you're giving away one of the arguably top 10, definitely top 15 best players in the league and you're trying to go into this rebuilding mode, and yet you give up a good young piece, and they didn't know it was going to be Justin Patton at the time, but I'm sure the Timberwolves would have been very happy with giving up number seven, Levine, and Chris Dunn for Jimmy Butler straight up. They did not have to throw in that number 16 overall pick. And when you're rebuilding, you want as many good young players as possible. Yeah. So that made no sense to me at all from their perspective. So that kind of transitions me into the losers from the NBA draft night. Um, so just to recap, my winners, I had the Timberwolves at one, Lakers at two, and then the Sixers and Kings both tied at number three. Um, my losers at number one, I had the Chicago Bulls. Um, I mean, we don't have to talk much more about it, but it yeah, all we're has in, to. We're in complete agreement about yeah, number it. It all has to do with the Jimmy they, Butler they trade. Really, they really fumbled the ball with that yeah. Jimmy Butler trade. Yeah, and then I think at number two, I had the uh, Miami Heat. I had the Nuggets at three. That I don't know. I could maybe see putting the Nuggets at two and Heat at three. And the Heat, 
it's not so much that I don't like Bam Adebayo. Um, I liked him at Kentucky. I think uh, he's someone who... I actually like Anagbogu more than Adebayo just because of Anagbogu's size at, I think, six foot 11, seven feet versus Adebayo's 6'9", six, 6'10", six, and not nearly as long. Um, but he's very athletic. It's just, it didn't make sense to me why at number 14 you would reach, uh, not necessarily reach, um, but just the fit with the heat. They have Hassan Whiteside, who's their best um, their best player on the team. Um and then you get Bam Adebayo, who is sort of a clone to Whiteside, um, just not nearly as good at anything. Yeah, yeah we're going back to uh, that would be a poor man's, poor man's Whiteside. Yeah, sure. exactly, a poor man's Whiteside. Right. So it just didn't make sense to me why you would pick Bam Adebayo at, um, uh, at number 14 when you have other holes to fill. Um, I mean, right. you have Dragic at point guard um and then i mean they could have tried to draft i mean even john collins at number 14 would have made more sense um you look at who they ended up signing in free agency they signed kelly olenic to i think it was like a four-year 50 million dollar deal which is just ridiculous that's um, uh yeah it's spending money just to spend but, money i mean uh the heat the heat have a lot of you know a lot of room to grow but you know with especially like a center like side you have a lot of pieces to fill around him. That is your centerpiece for the future. And I don't get the whole uh, twin tower kind of thing that you really are sitting there with a very old white side and having to find his protege. You know, you're kind of... Well, not even old, know, he's like 28. Yeah, but that's, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. You're messing up kind of uh, the perfect route that they're going down, building a good team around him with, uh, you know, Drogic and with, you know, waiters and... You know, a lot of young talent around him. I just don't see um, why they would have to take him at that pick either. But, yeah, uh, yeah one, one loser for me that I know we haven't really talked about. Uh, well, for me, it's it's kind of a, a coin flip for me between the Pacers, which is, I'm going to explain in a second, and okay, the Trailblazers. Yeah, uh, I, really, I really think the Pacers, with how disastrous of an offseason they've had, and all the drama with, you know, Paul George. Uh, you know, TJ Leaf uh, is an all right player. Um, I know that he fits some sort of need. And, uh, you know, they did get, you know, who you liked very much out of UCLA. Um, but he's not going to do much now um, as a project. And you're looking at TJ Leaf just as a player who is a lot like Tyler Lydon for me. Uh, he's, you know, he's all right. Oh. He's got a little bit more size, but I don't see him filling any, you know, a specific need, but I know that they do obviously have been in full process mode. I just would have liked to see them be a little smarter with, I think the reason why I have them losing is because they didn't find a way to up their draft ante with Paul George. Uh, I really think they could have used that to, you know, make some stuff around. I'm not saying they could have traded up super significantly, but they definitely could have, you know, came away with a little bit better draft uh, draft pick than just writing home about TJ Leaf. <laughs> yeah, um, I, uh, I, I get that with the, I think, the Paul George trade. We'll talk about that on another podcast too, but right. that was disastrous. And you talked about how they could have moved up in the draft, I think the Celtics probably would have eventually given in and given them right. number three. Um, and but I, I don't know. I 
fact that you just compared Tyler Lydon to TJ Leaf. I know TJ Leaf hasn't done anything in the NBA either because he hasn't gotten right. to play at all yet. But uh, okay, Lydon, like I like TJ Leaf actually, and I'm I go to USC, so for me to like UCLA players, like this was an uncomfortable year for me in the draft because I liked Lonzo Ball, I liked EK Bogu, I liked TJ Leaf, all UCLA players, uh, but. Yeah, they were they were a very UCLA heavy uh, draft uh, team. The picks yeah, I didn't were. like it. I'm glad this year's done. Moving on <laughs> to the next draft. Yeah, just uh, the last team for me that really struck out was I know the Trailblazers really did well with uh, Caleb Swanigan later on, and I yeah. think that's what made up for it. But like at number ten, with as deep of a draft as we've been talking about, you you name five to ten players right now that would have been a better fit and a better value pick than Zach Collins at number 10. And that really got affirmed for me when I just saw him just straight up getting pushed around in the summer league and going out with an injury. Like it really just looks like he just kind of went outside to play pickup basketball and just really picked the wrong day. You know what I mean? <laughs> just messing with like way too big of dudes. Like yeah, you get what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I really think at number 10, they were slotted at such a good pick to let all the craziness from one to five really play out. Let the Knicks and the Mavericks take their point guards of the future. And it was really kind of their pick of the crop at that point. And for them to go with Zach Collins was such a disappointment for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I think Malik Monk, even though they have CJ McCollum, someone that they could have brought off the bench, um, right. nice scorer for them and Malik Monk would have made a lot more sense. Obviously, right. Donovan Mitchell, knowing what we know now, um, just being able to see him in summer league would have made a lot more sense. Um, even even John Collins, with what he's shown in college, given bringing it on to uh, to the summer league, like he's six foot ten, nineteen years old. He's a young sophomore. He averaged a double double in college, nineteen points, ten rebounds, and he came out and pretty much put those same numbers up in in summer league. So at least you know that guy's you know quick, efficient, big, and you know he's putting up those those numbers there more towards like a fifteen kind of projected pick. But then again, like to me, so is that Collins. Yeah. Yeah, I think if they were trying to target a power forward, I think John Collins or TJ Leaf would have made more sense than Zach Collins. Right. Um, yeah, so, all right, so moving on, I know we had planned to talk about the Kyrie Irving trade request, and we were going to um, dive into a little bit more depth on that, but this podcast has been running a little longer than I think either one of us planned to, so I think um, as long as you're okay with that maybe we'll save that for our next podcast we'll leave that for another podcast but uh yeah of course the first podcast we got to come out and uh (laughs) give everyone a taste of what they're going to be in for for this foreseeable future but uh it's been a super fun podcast and we wanted to definitely just catch up on the craziness that has been the off season so far because as a fan i've fallen in love with basketball again <laughs> as i do every single year but this season it's been i couldn't predict one thing that's happened yeah, i'm telling nice. you there's there's been a complete craziness going around that i think people who don't like basketball can really get into you know what i mean yeah, so i think this off season just i mean every every off season is fun once free agency rolls around you try to see where players are going to go there's people constantly looking at free agents um twitter accounts to see any hints to 
know where they're going to go. But, I mean, this offseason, it started right away. You had the Paul George trade, the Chris Paul trade before free agency started. Um, it just seemed like this offseason was just so much more jam-packed with excitement and um, unforeseeable stuff that happened around the NBA that you never would have expected to happen. Um, yeah, so first off, if you're still listening, thank you. Um, like I said before, this podcast ran longer than Perry and I planned to originally, but we want to end this podcast with a debate between Perry and me. So the debate we have for today is, um, Perry, I'll uh, read the question to you and then you can go first and then um, I'll tell you my viewpoint. So Perry, if you were the number one player in your high school recruiting class, which program would you go to? And if you were the consensus number one pick, would you go all out every day or would you kind of tone it down to make sure you were healthy for when the draft came around? This is a huge topic that blew up me <laughs> and Corbin and our other friends yes, that were talking that. about this the other day. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, for me, I look at every level of basketball uh, sports really for that matter, but every level of basketball just as, uh, you know, a stepping ladder as, yeah. you know, it seems as basic as that is. But, you know, for me, you know, there's of course people that, you know, in high school they can skip a grade and they're just, they happen to be like that. And like, I feel like there might be one or two players in every decade that are just truly meant to come out of high school. And I get that. And I think that was the Kobe Bryant and the Kevin Garnett, you know, of our time kind of thing. And, you know, LeBron James, too. Um, but, you know, of course, you know, now that that's not allowed and you got to come to college for at least one year, uh, which I like because I just like I said, uh, I think it's a stepping ladder. And I think you need to prove yourself on all, you know, kind of all kind of platforms. So for me, if I'm the number one recruiting class, which I which uh, I was actually the number one recruiting in my <laughs> yeah, high school before, class. Before you got into at, our great, at, our great, at, at our great basketball team at Moore Park High. Right. At, the, at the time, I was I was a thundering five ten, uh, <laughs> like one sixty, yeah. and uh, you know leading, I was, the, leading the way with Derek Peters and Dustin. I, Mitch. I had a ton <laughs> of heart, but you know I, you know I wasn't getting recruited by Duke and all those places. Unfortunately, they overlooked me. But <laughs> Somehow. Um, if you know, if in in all reality, if I was, I would be going to Duke, and okay. that is just strictly uh, I'm not a huge Duke fan. I love college basketball with all my heart, but uh, I you know, grew up next to USC. I love USC uh, when it comes to college sports, but when it comes to college basketball, I really don't have a favorite. I really just love how it changes up every year and the recruiting process and how, you know, it's really the coaches for me. It's not yeah. the players, it's the coaches. And so when I, you know, when I pick Duke, it's just Coach K is so prestigious in my eyes. You know, he's up there with the, you know, with Wooden, you know, to me. And, the, you know, Coach K coached the Team USA basketball team for professional. Like, it doesn't matter, you know, where you put him. That is the man. That is the Bill Belichick of college football. You know yeah. what I mean? But yeah. Perry, that, that is Perry, the guy, so. Would you put any thought into playing overseas versus going to college? Or would you just go to college and then go to the NBA? Personally, I think I would go straight to college uh, instead of overseas just because of strictly just exposure. Yeah. Um, I know that you want to be seen. When you're coming out of high school, I know that no one's trying to go hide. You want to go to the NBA. If you have a slight chance, you're going to try. Um, so, you know, going to a place like Duke, 
uh, or Kentucky or UCLA, which has become a powerhouse again, uh, Kansas, you know, all these places, um, you are guaranteed to have that spotlight, uh, at least in that one year of college, if you don't put in like two, like Luke Kenner did at Duke. Uh, yeah. You know, for me, uh, if I was the number one player at the high school, I'd go to Duke and play for Coach K just because he doesn't, he just continually produces such perfect players coming out of, you know, going into the NBA, you know, just J.J. Redick and Luke Kenner just off just shooting guards that I can think off the top of my head are just two names that are flying around this offseason and so many other players like Jason Tatum. And, you know, it's it's crazy to see, you know, the kind of players that he's really shoveled out. I would go there, and I think if I was the consensus number one pick, I'm like here, Perry, was... Here, before, yeah. we, before we get to that, let's just... Uh... We'll talk about where we would go, and then we'll get into the would we okay, go cool. all out because I know I know we have differing opinions on that. Oh yeah, so, so yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, so yeah, just uh, wrapping that up, just definitely Duke for me. I would definitely consider Kentucky because Coach Calipari, he's just a silver fox. That dude would like come into my house and like <laughs> persuade me and my mom both that like I'm going to Kentucky. So like I probably wouldn't let him in because he would totally you know convince me. <laughs> But, you know, Coach K just seems so quiet and so just like, he, like you know, he's just got that Bill Belichick feel for me. Just like you don't know what's going on, but you do. And it's just he wins. That's it, you know. So I would definitely have to say Duke for me. Yeah, I, think, I agree with you. I'd go to Duke. Um, I think um, when you look at just everything that each program has to offer, I think Kentucky would obviously be in the mix with um, – John Calipari, um, you look at his track record with obviously how many players he's been able to bring into the NBA. Um, and they've had success not just in the NBA, but when they're at Kentucky, they also are every single year one of the best teams in the league, but um, or one of the best teams in the nation. Um, and then you look at Michigan State with Tom Izzo for a while. Um, he had this string of um, Final Fours where any player that played with him for all four years had been to a Final Four. There was not one player that had played for four years for him and didn't get to a Final Four. I think that streak snapped a few years ago, but that's still really impressive. Um, But the thing that deters me from Michigan State is just they haven't had a ton of success with players in the NBA. Obviously, Draymond Green is a huge player in the NBA, but other than that... um, I mean, there aren't a ton of players that you think of having success in the NBA. Um, And as much as it pains me to say this, um, being from USC, UCLA, I would definitely give a lot of consideration to them. Um, I don't think that their coach, Steve Alford, is that great of a coach. Um, But when you're at UCLA, I mean, you have that Southern California weather, you're at a storied program, and you do go on to, for the... They've had a lot of players that have been successful in the NBA, not just this year with Lonzo Ball, but um, years past. You look at Russell Westbrook, Kevin Love. Of course. Yeah, Kevin Love. Yeah. We got uh, even guys like, you know, role players such as, you know, Jordan Farmer and stuff like that. I love really Jordan found, Farmer. Found a way, yeah, found Jordan a way to Farmer, come out. please come. Magic Johnson, <laughs> sign Farmer to be our backup point guard. I don't want Derrick Rose. I don't want <laughs> yeah, Ian Clark. Give me Jordan Clarkson, and I will be—I mean, not Jordan Clarkson. Give me Jordan Farmer, and I will be so happy. 
Yeah, we got Jordan. Um, we got Jordan. We got Clarkson. Clarkson. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay if we trade him, but Farmer, I want Farmer. Um, so, so yeah, but the second part well, of the question. So, really quickly though, so also though, um, so yeah, I'd go with Duke. Um, you look at how successful they've been in college, and they've actually been more successful than Kentucky as far as they've been able to win more championships with um, in the same amount of time that Calipari's been at Kentucky. I think Duke's win won like two or three championships. Kentucky's won one. They both are very um, successful. And then um, with Coach Krzyzewski being able to coach the Olympic team, I think that just opens the doors to the types of connections you can get when you're playing. Of course. Um, and then also we talked about playing overseas, and you mentioned um, you wouldn't because of exposure, and I completely agree with that. I think you look at some of the players that chose to play overseas instead of in college um one from a little while ago brandon jennings he ended up going i think it was like number 10 or 11 to the um bucks and his rookie year he had a great rookie year he dropped 55 points in one game there are people comparing him to Allen iverson um and i mean now in hindsight looking back yeah he didn't end up having a great career but Maybe if he ends up playing college, at, he had committed to Arizona. If he goes there, maybe it's a higher pick. You look at um, Emmanuel Moutier. Um, he was one of, one of the top recruits going into college. He ended up playing in China um, instead of going to SMU. And his draft stock plummeted a little bit. Um, and I know, I mean, now in the NBA, he doesn't look like he's going to be much of a player. But who knows if maybe if he ended up going to SMU because... In any professional league, when you go overseas, whether it's China or the Euro League somewhere, they're not focused so much on your development. It's they're trying to play the best players possible. Um, And even when you're one of the best players in the world at 17, 18 years old, these professional players in Europe that have been playing since they were 16 and now they're 30, they're better than you. Um, so sure, not you, get... you look at like for example this year you got Terrence Ferguson who decided to go play in you know Australia instead yeah. of coming out of high school how you know how crazy he was supposed to be coming out of high school he went kind of kind of hit in Australia a bit you know what I mean and his draft draft kind of plummeted too because he was uh, you know I remember hearing two years ago that was the guy that was the next guy coming out he kind of yeah. went to Australia and didn't really hear about him until until recently so yeah I mean I just don't see. Yeah. All the benefits of overseas, I look at it more as a place of redemption. I look at it as a place, if you don't succeed in the NBA, it's a, it's a change of pace, and you can always come back. You can always pull a Stefan Marbury and become a god in an Asian country, because you could. Like that, you know, that's an awesome way to end a career, you know what I mean? Have a solid NBA career and go play overseas, you know what I mean? Uh, Jimmer Fredette right now he's doing amazing actually I believe it's in China and he's talking about an NBA comeback but you know he really didn't pan out the way one thought he was going to come out of BYU and kind of just you know took a year or two away from the spotlight went to go play on a different team I believe in China and now you know he's got that rapport and confidence to come back so I look at it more of a place where you, you know, you should go if you're looking for a different kind of competition and maybe to change your game. Uh, But, but, you know, it's uh, coming out of high school. I see 
really no advantage to going to play overseas rather than going to you know any kind of college program. You know, you just saw yeah. Fultz come out of you saw Fultz come out of Washington. Uh, you saw Ben Simmons come out of LSU. You know, these aren't historically amazing basketball schools, but they're still you know basketball schools in the U.S. that you know have exposure and you know you're able to go up against the competition that people believe you should be going up against. So. You know, I really see that as kind of the best route for anyone really coming out of high school if you can't go directly to the NBA. Yeah, um, I think you bring up a good point. Um, the argument that people try to make with playing overseas is, well, then you get to make money. You're not being exploited playing in college and not making any money. But you make maybe a few million dollars playing overseas. If you're lucky, I think it might even be less than that for the one year. And then, I mean the money that you make overseas, you lose it with, for the most part, your dra draft stock falling um, right. and the less money you make on your NBA contract. So I I don't see why anyone would go play overseas. Just play your one year in college, get the good type of exposure instead of not really getting any exposure and then go make your millions in the NBA. So that kind of segues us to the last part of the debate where it'll be more of a debate because we have differing opinions um, with um, if we're the consensus number one overall pick, would you um, go all out every single day or would you kind of tone it back and just make sure that you're fresh and healthy, ready for the NBA? So uh, Perry, I guess I'll let you go first. Uh, you know, I know that's a, you know, a hard question to ask, uh, if you are, you know, if you just assume to be the consensus number one pick and that's not really a question kind of exactly how Ben Simmons was two years ago and exactly how Marco Fultz was this year, it was just an obvious thing. And if you really disagreed, you were trying to make a case for that, but you were wrong. Um, <laughs> but if you, <laughs> but if you're the, uh, you know, consensus number one pick for me, you know, I still think you need to go out. I still think you need to go out there, prove that you're the consensus number one pick for a reason. And, you know, for me, just like I said, it's a stepping stool. It's, you know, you got levels to basketball. And, you know, I think it was a great decision on the NBA's part to not let people come out of high school because you still had to go another year uh, if that meant going overseas or if that meant going to college that you still have to continue to prove yourself. And I don't know how proving yourself for one more year is going to hurt anybody because at that point you get to see a whole nother, especially if you're going to talk about going to college sports where it's much better level of competition uh, than high school. You know what I mean? Because in high school, you know, you got players that, you know, you wouldn't even dream, couldn't, couldn't even dream of going to play in college. And then, you know, you're playing with the kid future consensus number one pick who's getting, you know, scouted by everyone. But, you know, I still think you go out every day and you play just like it would be your last name. And I understand when people say, obviously, you know, you're going to be the number one pick. You can kind of, you know, take it easier, maybe rest a few games, you know, not risk the injury. I get that. I'm just saying that basketball, any sport for that matter, is a sport where injury is a possibility, always. And, you know, I don't think that, I think, you know, it's kind of just how me and uh, I know my friend Christian feels about, um, you know, sitting out bowl games for college football athletes. Um, you know, I get, you know, you're going to go to the draft, but, you know, you decide to sit that game out. That doesn't really matter because what happens if you get injured in that game, your draft stock probably will plummet. And I get that. But then again, 
you know, as a, someone that's trying to pick you, uh, you know, to be the leader of my team, to see that you didn't only play in that game, but like you went out in that, you know, final game. And, you know, if that meant your entire season or a bowl game or, you know, the tournament or whatever that may be, and you competed and you, you know, you played just like every other game and you don't lose, like you just can't lose. You just need to compete. That's the player I want on my team. And if, and to me, that should be the consensus number one player. Who's going to go out there and make a difference with his play, his work ethic, going hard all the time. I don't want someone to have a second gear, you know, or I don't want to have someone have just a first gear. I want them to be in second gear at all times, like a crazy competitor. And, you know, you going to college to play, you know, that is a blessing, of course, to be able to go to a university for free and, you know, go play college. And I think we forget that they do get to have a year in college as well, which is, extremely you know fun and beneficial for you know just anything really just going through college at least a little bit that they get to experience is you know a, a amazing experience compared to you know spending a year you know in another country playing overseas which would still be awesome of course but you know going to college and playing for collegiate you know program that has such you know history behind it you not only play for you know you also play for another coach and to me college is all about the coaching so if I know that my player just spent a year under Coach K's system, under his coaching, I believe that guy is better than he was a year before. And that's plain and simple for me. Like, I don't see how you can get worse by going to play for a Calipari or a Sostovsky, you know what I'm saying? Anything like that, really. Uh, you know, a Paterno. Like, I really see just college being that you know prove it to me the kind of level and um in the nba you're going to continue to prove it and show because there's a lot of busts coming out of college but then again there's a lot of people that succeeded in the nba that continue to succeed in college and succeed in you know high school like it doesn't matter what level they're on they went you know what i mean and i get the injury risk with going all out playing every day but if you don't want to go out and play every day you know what kind of competitor are you in my opinion yeah um I think I pretty much disagree with everything that you just said. <laughs> um, well, at least the, the, the main points that you said. Um, like I, I get I get your mindset with wanting someone who's going to go out and compete, and I agree with that. But your main points, the two main points that you brought up, one with the going out and needing to compete and give it your all, even if you are going to be the number one pick no matter what. Um, and then also your stance on, the NBA being smart about not letting players come right out of high school. I think that's why it makes sense to me that a player doesn't have to go a hundred percent every single game. Um, kind of like, I mean, we saw with Markel Fultz this past year, there were games where he just didn't play and there was some injury that they said that he had, but I mean, we knew he, we knew he wasn't hurt. He knew that he had, locked up the number one pick in the NBA draft, and he didn't really have anything else to prove. His team was not going anywhere, but even if they were playing really well, I still think that if you have any discomfort at all, don't play. Be safe. Um, and then with the whole players not being able to go straight out of high school, I think when you're coming out of high school, most players, they're 18 years old. They're legally an adult they should be able to make that decision on their own I mean, right and that's probably, I, that's probably the one point that i said that i could you know differ on is i, I didn't really mean like not not allowed to come out of high school i just said that there was only one or two players in every decade that really 
have the talent to come out of high school and be NBA ready. And we saw that in Kobe and LeBron and Garnett. But, you know, I just think the fact that they, you know, you need to have another year of progress no matter where you have that year. You might be 18 coming out of high school, but now you're 19 with a little extra coaching and a little extra progress, a little extra growth. and You know, you've filled in your body a little bit more. I do like the idea of giving it another year. But then again, you know, we would have missed out on Kobe and Garnett and, you know, LeBron coming straight out of high school and, you know, in our time. So then again, you know, you're going to hold that back from everybody. Yeah, well, I just think if they already. I think. I think, for one, it's more than just a couple players every decade that are ready. I mean, you can't tell me that, like, Anthony Davis or Kevin Durant coming out of high school wasn't ready. Or even, I mean, like, Andrew Wiggins, I remember when he was in high school and looking to go into the... Or, well, he was having to go to uh, play one year of college, but there were people saying, look, if he could come right out of high school, he would be the number one overall pick this year. And he ended up being the number one overall pick the year after. So I think you need to be able to give the players the chance to come right out of high school. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm okay with players not giving it their all in college because they're sort of forced in into playing in college. Um, right. I and, mean, I could see that if you, if you were coming you know, right away out of high school and you already knew you wanted to come straight out of high school and that you were ready and you were well, forced to do that. Yeah, it's yeah. But, thing if you went there to get that year of experience and coaching from someone like coach K and you're competing for a title. And then you're kind of just like, Oh wait, I'm having the best year of my life. Like I'm the number one pick. Like let's just kind of give up on, you know what I'm working for now. It's kind of like, I want to do that doesn't know how to not compete. Like he can't sit on the bench in a suit. Like I want to see a dude like Kobe, you know, who's going to have splints on all his hands and, but, you know, a walking boot and still pull up on a three over you. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you can do that in the NBA, but in college, that makes no sense. Why are you going to sacrifice your body for an institution to me, that's to me, like, you know, winning, much, an, winning an NCAA tournament, seeing how the it changes every single year and how these players themselves, like, especially having it be one year, us with a lot of these players, I feel like you got to go that one year give your all and you know college basketball is a lot more competitive than you know the nba when it comes to you know caring more because in the nba you're making a lot of money and you've gotten to your dream and now of course you're getting better and you want to team up but you know it's a very lopsided league yeah you know, but, we'll, we'll talk about the west and the east of another podcast yeah. don't even get me started <laughs> but like you know but like when it comes to when it comes to that you know when you're in the nba you've already achieved what you're trying to achieve and you're just trying to achieve more in college you have so much to prove and so does every person on that court so like i just feel like you need to go out there and you know earn that nba status and prove that you didn't just dominate on the high school level you just dominated on the college level and you know you're going to dominate on the nba level i just don't see how well, you know that could hurt but well, but it can hurt because what if the player goes to college and then has some devastating injury like a ruptured Achilles? Then course, his career is done, and he he wasn't able to make any money when he should have been able. To. I think my stance is just when you're coming out of high school, for the most part, these kids are 18, so they're legally they're not kids anymore; they're adults. So you should be able to make those decisions. And then there are people that want to argue about well. But when players come right out of high school, like it's harder to gauge how good they're going to be in the NBA. 
Well, that's why NBA teams have scouting departments. That's where scouts need to be able to go make their money, is be able to go to these high school games, scout players against worse competition, obviously, than college basketball. But you can still see, for sure, like physical gifts that players have, but then also their skill level, how they're able to shoot the ball, um, what kind of shots they're able to create off the dribble, how they're able to space the floor and uh, read different passing lanes and play the right defense, get in the right positions defensively. Um, and I mean, for the players that aren't 18 and they're still 17, their parents have to co-sign on any contract that they have. So if their parents are okay with them going pro right away, and I mean, what parent, what parent is, wouldn't be okay with their kids going and making millions of dollars right away, of course. But when you're talking well, about just from you know a progression standpoint and making sure that the team knows what they're drafting, I know the kid's going to make their money either way. But if I'm the Lakers and I'm scouting someone, like you know, if a kid, if I made the varsity team and you got this crazy kid playing against guys like me, all I know is that you know I'm not going to give you know put too much stock into it considering that his level of competition is you know below average at best you know so when you're looking at you know other guys who were recruited to college it's like wow you know these guys were all on that level he's still not just competing he's the best the consensus number one pick he's proved that you know throughout the next level of play i just you know of course i I think i agree with you that there should be an option to let them out of high school and some circumstances you know could of course, happen that way, but I do see why, you know, the one year of college is beneficial to say the least. And at least from, you know, me evaluating a player, seeing them on, you know, in college and how they play definitely matters to me. Of course, it's not going to define them, but, you know, coming out of a Duke, you know, I expect you to be a seasoned, you know, uh, you know a, a guy with experience under Coach K who knows what they're doing and is ready to play you know, under, you know, in the NBA where the competition's at the ultimate best. So, you know, but I do see the one thing with injury where, you know, you can always, you know, anyone can injure themselves walking across the street. But, you know, when you're putting yourself in a competitive basketball game, one injury could, you know, ruin your consensus number one pick. But then we're into the, you know, the talk about money and let's just make it more money or not. You know, if you're good enough, you're going to make it to the NBA. It's just, uh, you know, proving yourself, in my opinion. Yeah, but I mean, it's not even just the injuries. Um, it pretty much it all has to circle back to dealing with money. But if you have to go play in college versus coming straight out of high school, then even if you don't get injured and you have a really um, good year in college, you're still you're set back a year as far as when you get off of your rookie scale contract. Which is, I mean, if a rookie that's selected is really good like say for instance markel fultz does great this next year um puts up i mean puts up 20 points per game with five assists and five rebounds a game he's getting paid like i think six seven million dollars as the number one overall pick he's worth so much more than that but because of this rookie scale contract for the next four years he's under that rookie contract where he doesn't make more than i think like 11 million dollars in his fourth year in the league. And then after that, that's when he can go make his big contract. So when you force players to have to go play in college versus coming straight out of high school, it sets them back a year as far as when they can go make their real money. And I know it seems it seems ridiculous to say, well, I'm saying that they aren't going to be happy enough with that $10 million a year. But look, 
if you're good enough to where you can make 20, 25 million a year in the NBA, you should be able to as soon as possible. I like the rookie contract because obviously when you're drafting in the NBA draft or any draft, whether it's the MLB draft, NFL draft, like you don't know exactly how they're going to do. So you have those four years to see exactly how great they are and it kind of protects yourself against... Imagine if... Um, in the NBA draft, there was no rookie scale contract, and each rookie just negotiated with their teams on what type of contract they have. Now imagine that the number one overall pick in the draft gets signed to this four-year, $80 million contract, and then they suck, like Anthony Bennett from uh, four or five years ago. That would absolutely decimate a franchise because you'd have $20 million of your cap locked into a player that wasn't worth a quarter of that. Totally, um, I could see, I could see it that way. Yeah, so I mean, just in all, I think that I mean we didn't even start off talking about the high school rule, but I think now that I think about it more, it does play into this discussion where if you let players come straight out of high school, then you don't have the question anymore about is some player going to give it their all in college? Because if you have players coming straight out of high school, then anyone who's in college, even if they are supposed to be the number one overall pick. They still have to go out and play because you have players competing not just at the collegiate level, but also players at the high school level absolutely dominating their competition. And I know it's much worse competition, but different scouts are going to look at it differently and try to weigh, okay, well, this guy in high school is putting up 35 points a game with 18 rebounds and six blocks a game versus this guy in college is putting up you know, 18 points a game with 10 rebounds and two blocks a game, which one's more impressive? And that's sort of um, sort of up to each individual scout to decide which one is more impressive. So I think that sort of does away with the whole um, if you have to compete every day in college, because I think you would have to. All right, I can see that. Uh, I definitely just think just kind of refocusing back on just being the consensus number one pick. And I think you kind of drifted a little bit more towards the one and done role. Yeah. Uh, just the consensus number one pick. It's just a matter of if you feel you, uh, your inner competitiveness, um, you know, outweighs being smart uh, on being careful about, you know, risking your, you know, draft uh, stock and obviously messing that up by going to college and, you know, getting injured but then again you're also going to have to put that risk on every player every year any sport so right yeah i think that's just uh look you have your own opinion on that and i just <laughs> we're just gonna have to agree, agree to disagree, to disagree on most of it yeah all right well you know yeah. i just want to uh, reach out to whoever's listening and just say thank you so much for sticking with us on we yeah. promise to be our longest podcast. Yes, for sure. Uh, None will be. Our, our, we will not have another two-hour podcast. I promise that. But but uh, if you do give us a chance to listen to the whole thing, we promise we'll be more informed than uh, you were before. <laughs> and uh, we hope you uh, fall in love with the game like we do, and all the everything that comes with basketball. So I hope you can tune in for us next time when we continue to unwrap the hottest takes from the NBA. Uh, again, I'm Perry Ashton, and as always with Corbin Weinerman, and we will see you next time. All right. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>